Well, hello everyone, and uh, welcome to another episode of Pod of the Gaps, the podcast that seeks to plug the gaps between the church and theology and culture and anywhere else where there are gaps that are in need of plugging. I am uh, I'm Andy Bannister, and I'm joined as ever by my intrepid uh, co-podcaster, uh, Aaron Edwards, who actually, I was about to say from the other end of the country, but of course I'm now living in England. I always forget I'm, I'm so actually now he's the northerner. And I'm the southerner. It has been That's a long right. way, the other way around, hasn't it? So um, we've, quite, we've crossed paths. We have crossed right. paths. So uh, so how's life with you? It's good. Yeah, it's uh, you know just in, getting used to the 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 death of summer or the the advent of autumn, that kind of thing, or fall. To our American listeners, That's American actually, funny enough, that I did have, I did have a friend recently say, you know, I'm really loving the the podcast, but can you tell Andy Bannister to stop doing these like shout outs to our American listeners because you know. It sounds. It looks a bit pretentious, and looks like <laughs> kind of like making it sound like you're, you know, bigger cheeses than you are. So yeah. I don't. I don't, I, I don't actually know. I mean, obviously, well, I know the only thing is, you say the funny thing you say about that, Aaron, is the same. The yeah, same time you mentioned that, I had an email, um, that sort of three oh, yes, Facebook message three or four days ago from yeah. somebody complaining that we only ever mentioned America because this listener is in Australia. He was like, "Could you give a shout out?" Because there are a bunch of us following part of the gaps. Uh, down under. So I actually, on the podcast software on SoundCloud that we use to host the podcast, you can look at your viewing stats. So I pulled up uh, the viewing stats and then filtered them geographically. And actually, it's quite interesting. Yeah. We have, in order of, if I just do the, the top few, sure. you know, bulk of our listeners from the UK, obviously, that's the motherland, that's the center of culture. Then it's the USA. <laughs> uh, then it's Canada. Then it's Australia, Ireland, South Africa, Germany, India, Sweden, New Zealand, Spain, Norway, Zambia, France, Puerto Rico, Singapore, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Austria, Portugal, Thailand, UAE, Oman. And that's all places where we've had over 100 listeners uh, in the last uh, year or so. You go down the list. I mean, my my word, we even have 13 listeners in the Bahamas. So to those of you listening the Bahamas, um, Aaron and I would love to come and do a part of the Gaps Live. <laughs> Can we go live. do a live Q&A with our Please Bahamas? do ask us out um, to do that. Just above that is Ukraine. Um, and we have, you know, we pray, mm. pray for Ukraine, but I think we will not be doing a pod of the Gaps Live there yeah. uh, for a while. Yeah, well, that is quite interesting to see the amount of, uh, yeah, diversity amongst our... 14 listeners in Pakistan. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. I mean, that's Republic of Korea. I'm assuming South, not North, 29. But if um, if Kimmy or whatever his name is, is listening in the North, give it up, dude. Give it up. <laughs> so actually, I should go back, really. You weren't being uh, pretentious at all. We actually do have a fair few listeners. No, we have actually in, had in the last in the year or so, we've had 11,000 downloads from the USA. From the US, wow. So if Mr. So Trump if Mr. Trump is listening, well, I, won't, I, won't, I wouldn't say it. Make part of the gaps great again. That's right. <laughs> that would be good. Yeah, that's right. We can make America, help make America, America great again by... By rejoining the British Empire. That's right. That's exactly. what we need to do, yeah. actually. And is America. the Bahamas still linked to the Commonwealth? Or am I wrong? Is it linked in... Or was that another... Bermuda? Is that Bermuda's got some kind of Commonwealth link, isn't it? Not Bahamas. Possibly. I might, we could offend all of our island listeners. You're now. showing why poor, you're a theologian and not... Poor a geographical knowledge. They'll be like... Oh. They're going to turn off straight. Yes, away. you're showing why you're not a you're not why you're not a geogra- geographer. You're right, why you're a That's theologian because right. you know you know where ideas are to be located on the map of <laughs> map of culture. But Bahamas, where's that? Where exactly? Where's that? Exactly. Well, I'll know when we do our live episode, so I don't need but, to um, worry about that. Talking of um, talking of Facebook and, and messages, and here comes mm. the, the, the 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 segue. The crunching uh, the gears. We really, the... Yeah, there's always that crunch of gears um, that somebody sent me, and then I sent to you um, a fascinating article. On, a, on Facebook the day. So I love the fact that part of the Gaps listeners, I don't know about you, will often send me interesting yeah. things, um, you know, like guides to humour and, and ways not to tell jokes so often get sent to me and go, I, Most of my thing is like, yeah, critique of your jokes, but, you know, that's the main feedback. I yes, I can but, you know. I can absolutely believe that people do uh, do the, the critique. No, have, didn't we have someone who said, actually, they, they were very complimentary about your jokes, saying, banter, uh, you know, the, the, the etymological link between banter and, and banister. Oh yes, someone some someone was asking way. about was asking so, about um was asking about that, but okay. um but yes to go um yeah people don't the reason I haven't been asked to perform at the Edinburgh the Edinburgh, the Edinburgh Fringe um I think with my with my uh, in my sort of bad sense of uh, bad sense of humour um kind of thing, but um, although um although I have to say um someone did send me the other day the top ten jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe 
in a in in twenty twenty two, and I and I have a lot to I have a lot to learn. Do you do you, do you want just to amuse people before we go into the real thing? Do you want to know the um? <laughs> they asked a good ones. Top three jokes from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in uh, in Scotland this year. Go on. Number one was a. Uh, I tried to. I tried to. St- <laughs> I'm laughing reading it. I tried to steal spaghetti from the shop, but the female guard saw me and I couldn't get past her. Uh, Very good. That was number one. Number two was. Uh, did you know if you get pregnant in the Amazon, it's next day delivery? Did did um. Uh, are they- my actually, the number three is my favourite actually, which is uh, my my attempts to combine nitrous oxide and oxo cubes made me a laughing stock. That's that's straight out of the Ballister playbook. I, that's I, Olaf Falafel, who's a brilliant stand-up comedian. I mean, right? what, we were a special advisor to the Fringe Festival this year. It sounds like I'm not, I'm surprised. I, I thought the Fringe Festival was all kind of no, it has some good ones. Actually, number five on the list is quite good. I hate funerals. I'm not a morning person. Excellent. But anyway, back to stuff I got sent on. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yes, somebody sent me there. an amazing article um, from The Critic, uh, which is a really fascinating kind of on, well, online and print um, kind of magazine, news and culture from a sort of small C conservative mm-hmm. perspective. And it was an article called Losing Faith in Atheism. And it was written by an atheist journalist just going on to sort of say, talking about in the you know 15 years ago, 16 years ago, we had the rise of the so-called new atheism. Mm-hmm people like Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, mm. Chris Hitchens, and others. And, you know, it was wildly popular, but now it's just gone. It's just is no more. So atheism, mm. you know, before that was kind of a bit weird and freaky. Um, yeah. Then it had this moment in the spotlight where it was really cool and hip and trendy and people writing books like Dawkins, The God Delusion, so millions of copies. Now, you know, Hitchens is dead. Harris yeah. is just like weird. Um yeah. Dawkins is a laughing stock. He pops up on social media and tries to, you know, say something and everyone piles on him. Mm. And atheism, atheism star is now gone. Where its cultural mm. moment has gone. And mm. so hence this episode we're calling, you know, the, mm. the sort of failure of atheism. And now you've got this whole new generation of atheists like, you know, Mario Laghos, who wrote this article, basically ended up in this sort of position of saying, look, we don't believe in God, but we kind of wish God existed and we miss God. And, and your Douglas Murray, who we've mentioned uh, on these podcasts before, you know, Douglas described himself as a Christian atheist. Um, yeah. I got a friend of mine in who's who's mates with one of the very with a very well known. I mustn't mention names actually, because where the conversation is, very well known atheist YouTuber whose videos get still get tens of thousands. But this guy is very similarly is now describing himself as an agnostic. He's saying that he doesn't believe Christianity is true, but he kind of wishes that it was. So. It's really interesting what's happened, Aaron, in atheism in the last mm. twenty years or so ago. Because if you, if we were filming this, making this podcast in twenty ten, we'd be like, man, you know, Christians have got some real work to do. Atheism is yeah. back with a vengeance. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying the world has become Christian, but the the whole wheel has turned in a way yeah. I don't think ten years ago we'd have expected. No, that's right. It's, it's true. I, I, when I was uh, an undergrad student in the nineteen seventies. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Be- a couple of years ago, it was actually. It was the mid noughties um, and it was so after nine eleven, which and the nine eleven because of um, it was linked in with sort of religious extremism that gave a lot of ascendancy to the new atheist um, ideas, basically. So because there was this kind of sense of isn't religion crazy? Look what religion can do. Oh, actually, and isn't the way that even this Christ- so-called Christian nations responded to this crazy extremism, equally crazy or more crazy, um, let's just kind of laugh and point fingers at all the craziness. Um, and so actually, as, a, as someone doing mission and evangelism on a university campus, I can remember the God Delusion being really, really, um, Richard Dawkins' books, God Delusion, being the kind of go-to book that Christians had to read or respond to. So every time you did a CU mission week, you'd have a speaker in um, who'd speak about it. You had so many different versions of Richard Dawkins' book written you know deluded by andrew wilson did one um deluded by dawkins or there was yeah. the dawkins delusion and many of them which had the same kind of font as the book kind of, sort of trying to respond to it that kind of tends to happen the same happened with the da vinci code and the da vinci code similarly probably led ha- had some credence given to the, the new atheist sort of foundations because it was almost again like look the actual claims of the christian faith are nonsense anyway made up and politicized or romanticized so we can do away with that and look at look, just look at society. Just look at where we are. 
wouldn't you rather be free of this? Wouldn't you rather be walking into the beautiful utopia? Um, I wish we could use the phrase that Boris Johnson used of Brexit, was it the, the, the meadows that everyone now keeps referring to, the great meadows before us when we, when we go into this great new era. Um, and I think, it's, I think the New Atheists did promise that. They seemed to sort of say, it, we, they, they were campaigning. The four horsemen of the New Atheism, mm. you know, the Dennett, Harris, Hitchens and Dawkins, they were, they were seen as kind of prophets of a, a great new era. I know they didn't necessarily stand up and say, we'd like to create this new movement. The movements rarely start like that. But they did definitely cash in on that and they did do stuff together. They clearly were conscious of the fact that they were part of something that was exciting, that they wanted to be part of, that they were doing some, some good for humanity. Like with Christopher Hitchens, you know, I think I mentioned him before on a couple of other episodes, on the materialism one especially. He was like... A kind of partially good guy. I mean, um, maybe we all are partially good and partially bad. But he, even in his arguments, I quite, I really respected the way he approached things, and I think he, you know, he genuinely tried to argue what he thought was true. And, and there's some interesting stuff about him and, and his own doubts potentially in his own views that coming towards the end of his life. In um, Larry Taunton's book, The Faith of Christopher Hitchens, which I think we've mentioned before, a fantastic mm, book. Yeah, that's right. But so, so there's all these people who were there, big cheeses, really big part of it, big platforms. They'd made their careers on it. They're not going to suddenly openly renounce it in some way. But they were also, as I said, trying to build some great future or encourage young people to put down the kind of foolishness of the gods, as it were, and embrace the new secularism. And I just think it's interesting when you when you look at that years later, we're not having those kind of debates. We are having debates, as we mentioned previously, on materialism. I think people still do have that. It's done its work. The new atheism has done its work. It hasn't, I don't think it's entirely failed. But I do think, it's, you're right, it's interesting that a lot of the proponents are in a very different place now and they're seen very differently by the cool kids in a way that, that they were the cool kids back in the day. Hmm. I think as well, the other, thing, the other thing that interests me that I think we missed at the time and maybe see more clearly... Now, of course, in many ways, there wasn't much that was new mm. about the, yeah. the new atheism. I think yeah, yeah. what was new when when the new atheism kicked off in in 2006, and folks who were perhaps you know too young <laughs> to remember that, um, the term new atheism was coined by a guy called Gary Wolf, who was a right journalist for Wired magazine, to describe you know Harris and Hitchens and Dennett and Dawkins. And by the way, interesting that all men, this has been commented too, it was very, New Atheism was a very male thing. Mm. There were some female sort of people on the fringe, but the big, the big dinosaurs in the, in, in the room were, 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 were men. Yeah. And interesting, actually, I mean, we talk about this later in the episode, one of the ways that I think the New Atheism came unhinged later on was it actually got caught up in, in some quite inappropriate sexual stuff. Some of its proponents um, ended up... Um, how should we at least say it? Perhaps getting overly friendly with people they shouldn't in ways that they shouldn't at conferences. Yeah. Um, so a few of the sort of not the major players actually, but a few of the players on the fringe, you know, got in got in huge trouble mm. and got themselves mm. banned from events, which is mm. interestingly mm. interesting as an aside. Um, but then also the fact that the new atheism itself wasn't new in terms of a lot of the stuff it stood on. So you mentioned the science piece, right? One of the things that Dawkins particularly. Mm-hmm. tried to do was sort of build this sort of idea that um you know religion is totally based on on faith and feeling science based on evidence he used to call christians died in the world faith heads um and the idea i think for dawkins and and his ilk were you know if you can't test it measure it feel yeah. it touch it, it's yeah. not real well the thing is that sounded cool to a crowd you know when, when dawkins did it with an oxford accent but it's actually just a warmed over version of something called logical positivism which is a philosophy, right, that had its origins in the 1930s. Mm. So this is, you know, 80 years old. And logical positivism really ran out, you know, ran out of steam in the 19 kind of 70s when A.J. Mm. Ayer, who was one of his big proponents, oh, yeah. um, A.J. Ayer famously ended up saying, um, I just was looking up the quote while you were speaking to make sure I get it right. In an interview in 1976, he said, well, the most important weakness of logical positivism was that most of it is false. Um because he because he'd come to realise it ran out of steam, and one of the big problems with it is if you say the only thing that is true is that which can be tested empirically, somebody can then turn around and say, well, hang on, can the statement yeah. only that which is true yeah. is that which should be tested empirically? Can that itself be tested empirically? And you can't yeah. take that statement into a laboratory mm. and measure it. Mm. So I think I think one of the problems that the new atheism ran into is it actually was actually a philosophy. It was actually a religious position. Mm. Um, and it yeah. ran out of steam. And, and in that, fact, that, I, yeah. I just, okay. last point on this is going to say, and then back to you, was that, of course, 
back in, I think, 2014, a sort of shameless plug when I wrote my book, The Atheist Didn't Exist. I had so much fun with this because mm. the second chapter in that book, I have a lot of fun with the idea that, you know, uh, atheists don't like the idea that when you turn around and say atheism is a belief or, or even a religion. And I, and I quoted Hitchens saying, you know, they, um, our belief is not a belief. Mm. And when you've got to, when you've reduced it to that absurdity, yeah. um, then you've got a problem. And yeah. I think that was one of the problems for the new atheism. I don't think it actually realized that it had suppositions. It was built on some beliefs. It was built upon some, it was basically a worldview. And when you offer yeah. have a worldview, you have to defend it. And it was very mm. good at attacking, but it wasn't very good at, at building. Mm. And I think that's mm. where I think now people have realized a lot of it was hollow. Mm. I think that's really true. I think, again, like I said earlier, they, they postured as the kind of apostles or bishops of, uh, <laughs> and he's now currently holding up a certain red book. Uh, I don't know who the author is, but the atheist to something, 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 I don't know. Um, but I'm sure it's worth uh, buying from all bad bookshops and uh, some good ones, maybe, if they bought it by accident. No, I, I would recommend Andy's book. In fact, I gave your book to a neighbour who enjoyed enjoyed reading it. And they, interestingly, this guy, a neighbour who's like a very, very intelligent atheist, um, who you know, thinks about these things and reflects a fair bit, he, he actually didn't identify with the atheist you were critiquing, no. which was annoying because I was like, oh, I thought Andy's book would be kind of a good door opener. But he was able to dismiss it because like, oh, yeah, I'm not that stupid. Like, I'm not one of those... Uh, new atheist. It's like, okay, so you're saying you're the atheist who didn't exist in in the book. In really, well, actually, it's funny. Without, I mean, I, I, I I meet friends like that, and I'm always very quickly. I'm very always very careful to say I'm absolutely not attacking mm. every type of atheist. But then when mm. someone does say that, to then of course that gives you opportunity to go, okay, that's fantastic. I'm glad you're not that kind of atheist. What yeah, kind yeah. of atheist are you? Yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly. It does open it up, doesn't it? And it's interesting that what you say about the. Um, was it Hitchens? He said, he said, yeah, we're not, we're not a, it's not a belief. It's not My a belief is not a belief as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's interesting because they really were dogmatic. They really did have that, that kind of religious yeah. following from people. Um, you know, the people who'd argue with them. This is a quote I found linked into the article you, you sent um, from the critic. There's another one called the strange afterlife of new atheism by Sebastian Milbank. And there's a quote here just referring to kind of what it was like back in the day, which we'll all remember, because some of you listeners will remember arguing with new atheists or you know, occasionally trolling uh, new, uh, some of the forums. I mean, I, actually, I didn't know what the, the first time I learned what the word trolling was, was on the new atheist uh, kind of Facebook group that came up. And I, I just saw, so, I don't know how it came up. Maybe Facebook worked differently in those days. But I somehow found myself on a group um, I'd seen something written. I thought, this is a really stupid, not annoying comment. I need to respond to this as a Christian witness. So I did this like response, a kind of two or three line response. And then I got all these mega responses back, like, oh, Christian troll alert. And then I, I was like, okay, what does that mean? I have to go look it up. Um, so I'm, I'm a troll because I'm going onto your domain. And you want, so this is kind of your religious domain. And I'm an, an outsider. I'm not really allowed to trespass on this domain unless I know and believes the things that you believe, which is basically like a creed. So then I, would, I was locked into these long debates and uh, realised, I think after that I didn't post anything in those kind of things for about 10 years because I was just sort of regretting um, kind of trying to trespass on, on this sort of domain. But anyway, the the, um, the article I mentioned, the, the Strange Afterlife of New Atheism, is this wonderful quote which, which gets into some of the culture that was there of the time of those who were the sort of defendants or the religious acolytes of these leaders of new atheism says the warriors of atheism would deploy strange sophistic arguments saying for example that there were no atheist beliefs or for that matter a thing they were, there was not even a thing called new atheism an atheist was just someone who didn't believe in god despite all being identical stormtrooper like clones says <laughs> above all they would never ever ever stop arguing with you having the last word was a way of life a matter of honor and I think that really resonates with I don't know if you, Andy, as someone who's an apologist, also involved in those debates. You did get, you know, obviously you get Christians who also want to fight to the death on mm. every argument. And maybe apologists might be more prone to that than others. But I don't time, know what you possibly mean. <laughs> yeah, that's what I could possibly mean. But it's just interesting, isn't it? That for the, it's, I think it's almost like an apologist. It makes sense to do that, doesn't it? There, there's a reason for you to fight to the death on the argument because you really want to convince someone and that, that they're not make a completely foolish mistake with their eternal mm. life. Whereas actually an, an atheist, it's kind of like they were really, really adamant, weren't they, that they that, that they were correct in their non-view. Well, it's, yeah, and it's funny you say that to go, I mean, a couple of observations there. One is what I 
teach and train a lot of kind of you know young evangelists and apologists and some of the one of the things sometimes one of the things that you have to actually it goes for anybody moving into evangelism i think one of the things you have to be careful of as christians is that we don't fall into that trap of just trying to win arguments and demolish mm-hmm. your your opponent right because you're trying to you're trying to win the person and not the argument and i think the new atheists it was interesting watching them i often go you know there are ways to be far more winsome and there were, there were one of the things that other atheists critiqued them for was that reason i remember seeing a, there was an email exchange went public or oh, 15 years ago now and I, I believe from memory, mm-hmm. it was between Michael Ruse, mm-hmm. who is an atheist and, and, uh, and biologist, uh, and philosopher. He's the one who said that the Dawkins book made him embarrassed to be an atheist. He said it made him embarrassed to be an atheist. And there was a public email leaked out where he'd, I think, written to Dawkins, if I got it right, saying words to the effect of, he said, you know, you and Christopher and the others are an absolute disaster when it comes to... Oh. You know, winning people because you know you don't win people by calling them stupid. You win them by persuading them that actually, you know, our position is 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 is, is the right one, and you do this through you know generosity and other things. And it caused a bit of controversy. And actually, I did a radio debate with with Michael on I think it was Premier Radio. Again, this is probably about 10, 12 years ago. And I was really struck. He was a lovely. Let me still around. He's a lovely guy. And one thing I was really Actually, I used the word touched by, was he, early on in the debate, he, he, the new atheism came up and he had no time for it. He said, look, he said, the thing I always say, he said, I say to people that Christianity is an incredibly serious, incredibly well thought through, rigorous philosophical and, 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 and religious position. He said, I happen to think it's wrong, but I, you can't, you don't dismiss it by insulting it. I just, I think it needs to be talked about seriously. And that's why we have these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um but then the other thing I was going to say that I used to say to atheist friends, particularly in the new atheist days, but I think still applies today when you meet slightly more feisty atheists who perhaps lean towards the old the old position, is, of course, if atheism is true, why does it matter? And what I mean by that is going, look, if that really hardcore materialistic end of athe- you know, atheist view of the world is true, mm. the reality is that you and I have no value. We don't. We are just arrangements of particles we may think we have value but we deceive ourselves yeah. you know we've uh, we're the result of millions of years of unguided time plus chance plus natural selection and we are no more significant than the cockroach the ant- the antelope or the aardvark mm-hmm. uh, because we're just a result of evolution yeah. one day we'll be extinct one day the universe will end yeah. so what does it matter what we believe as long as we and even if we don't survive and reproduce who cares nothing actually matters and what's interesting that realization was a very famous writer called Leo Tolstoy, um, who wrote War and, War and Peace. Mm-hmm. And Tolstoy, it is by the time of his sort of thirties, forties, had drifted away from faith. I mean, this is year, obviously you know decades yeah. ago now, a uh, long, long time ago. Um, he ended up in atheism, but what brought him back from atheism to Christianity? And he writes about this in his autobiography. Um, was he said he woke up one day and this realization hit him in the full in the face of uh, going, well, hang on a minute. If atheism is true, nothing I do matters. So why do anything? Why argue for anything? Why assert anything? Why care about anything? What possible difference does my life make? And that was the question that eventually led him back to Christian faith. And that's the question that atheism fails to answer. And so today now you get atheists like, say, Douglas Murray, um, who we've quoted obviously before on Part of the Gaps, and, and there's a whole generation of atheists like him. And now today, I think, who are in more who would say more but they don't believe that atheism is true. They don't believe that Christianity is true, but they wish yeah. it were. Douglas wrote in an article uh, about a year or two ago, I remember him writing about uh, the whole question of purpose. And he said, the question that our society has left fundamentally unaddressed mm-hmm. is the question of what life is for and what the purpose. That's yeah. the question that we need an answer to. And he's open and saying, I don't think atheism can address it. And that's yeah. what the new atheism failed to do it gunned for christianity and maybe maybe I, you may i may surprise you to say this maybe we christianity needed gunning for because it was a slightly overly confident version yeah. of christianity that i think it had cultural power for too long and we got lazy and yeah. atheism went for that but it then failed yeah to address the purpose and now what's happened of course is that i think christianity's woken up and you've had, you know, I think really good, rigorous Christian thought addressing some of the. That's the different than saying Christianity is woke, of course. Yeah. Yes, yeah, woken up. No, no, no. Woken no, no, I, up. Yeah. 
Yeah, Andy, and it's interesting that, um, you know, in the light of new atheism, we can actually see data um, that shows the social acceptability of atheism as having increased um, in the in the 21st century, especially. But even even in the sort of um, probably mapping back from the 80s, you'll see that slowly, slowly growing and then it kind of spikes up. So actually, you can see a kind of correlation between, you know, I, t- I talk about some of this in, um, in in lectures sometimes when we talk about the sort of sociology of religion, observance of um, of religion, this kind of thing, especially in the UK. I mean, I'm sure it's different, slightly different statistics in other countries. Maybe our listeners in, in the US, of course, there are many thousands and billions of listeners there, or the many, in the, the 13 in the Bahamas, who we're going to see soon, I'm sure, in our, on our live tour of the Bahamas. Um, but there are, certainly for the UK, which, which is a good touchstone, I think, for Western um, attitudes to religion, and we have a, a, almost, not quite correlating, but almost a correlation between the amount of people who used to tick um, Church of England as their belief um, in a census, let's say now we're talking about 30 years ago. Um, the drop in the people who tick Church of England is, is patterned by a rise in people who now say no religion. So no religion, at least five years ago, the last survey I, I saw on this was um, mm. 53% happy to say no religion which is quite amazing for a country that you know politicians at that time and still do would, would refer to as a christian country um so people just literally say i'm I, i'm happy to say publicly i i'm not a religious person i don't think there's any social cachet in there there's no kind of reason for me to say it and in a way i think the new atheism did that so people used to tick the established church box that all it's done is kind of get rid of almost the um the fake christians the people who were sort of pretending that they were there, as much as the CME would probably say, we'd, we'd quite like to have them actually as members, <laughs> but, but um, you know, we'll take it. And so, no religion actually is now an okay thing. So, in, in a weird way, when you say things like, you know, Douglas Murray thinks Christianity is good, he'd like to believe it, or the other person, we absolutely love that those sort of people in those in between spaces. But I'm also kind of less impressed um, about just being happy with tolerate people who tolerate Christianity because of course we're we're proclaiming this it's not just something that we want someone to have respect for in general we don't just want mm. them to have a respect for the philosophical system you know Paul in the one Corinthians certainly doesn't speak like that he speaks of he literally says that the cross is foolishness to to the Greeks and it's a stumbling block to the Jews and and by man's own wisdom they 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 rejected um the things of God in many ways. So I think we want to sort of hold on to that pro- pro- proclamative edge, you know, the fact we want to herald Christianity as well as apologize for it and persuade people. So there's those things kind of almost in tension there. Yeah. So I keep seeing people today who are sick of the woke stuff and would agree with part of the gaps and all, all that kind of stuff. Um, and they think that Christianity has something to offer as a kind of, I don't know, adhesive to society or something. And on, on, so on some level, yes, that's good. And we would want to... Pro- say that's clearly a good fruit of Christianity. We've been doing that on the, a lot of these episodes. But there's also something else, isn't there? That we There's a huge, it's still a massive gulf between that and actually them professing, hmm. you know, their faith in Christ, which is actually the end game, the end goal of what Christianity is yeah. here. All yeah, proponents of Christianity ought to be aiming for. So it's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it? No it is, and I think the other thing as well, actually, that is a possible warning for Christians here, is the danger is if we're not careful, we end up, really what we want to do in the way that we talk with our friends is we hope we want to be liked and we want to be kind of left yeah. alone right so we yeah. get excited when like you know like a douglas murray comes out and mm. goes oh yeah mm. or when dawkins you know actually dawkins famously at one point came out and said he thought that christianity was was a bulwark against something worse yeah which okay. he meant islam yeah. and everyone got very excited and in one sense it is exciting but no i think you're mm. i think you're right and it's, it's how one walks the line i guess between we want we don't want Christians to behave like idiots and be rude and objectionable. We want people to see that Christianity, Christian faith is reasonable. And, you know, we're not a bunch of dribbling idiots who just go around believing anything mm. with no logical coherence mm. to it. But on the other hand of things, you say you want to recognise that, you know, the wisdom of men is, the, is foolishness. And at the same time, realise that there comes a confronting point where the gospel, as you say, is going to challenge mm. people. If that's funny, it's not atheism, but it is tangentially related to the stories. I'm, was uh, this morning I um I I met this um amazing I would say young woman actually shows my age mid thirties who um who lives in our village here a friend of a friend who comes from a Muslim background been a Christian about eight years and her testimony is quite remarkable that when she moved here from from Kenya she was saying mm-hmm. she she ended up living next door to a Christian who you know knocked on her door 
you know, welcomed her and her family to the UK and then shared Christ with her. And she was a very conservative Muslim. And her response, she said, she said, I feel bad now. So the response was to say to this guy, don't be ridiculous. I'm a Muslim. I think Christianity is totally wrong. Mm. It's never going to work. Leave me alone. Mm. And um, he just started praying. And, uh, in front and of then, her, no, not mean. in front of her, but okay, then, right. and then she now knows was praying for her. Yeah. And um, then what happened is the ISIS stuff in the Middle East happened. And she began to get quite disturbed about stuff that was being done in the name of Islam. And she described mm-hmm. her one day, she was in her kitchen cooking and she basically just prayed out loud. She said, you know, she said, I prayed God of Abraham. So what, you know, is going on? Mm-hmm. Because she said, look, you know, Islam is killing people in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, Christians believe this rubbish about Jesus being the son of God. She said, atheism doesn't make, you know, she said, I mean, what, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. God, what do mm-hmm. I believe? And uh, she said, that was a dangerous prayer to believe because 24 hours later, she was standing in her same kitchen. She had this tr- amazing vision of, uh, of Jesus, this figure on a white horse. So she didn't know it was Jesus immediately. Mm. And wow. then on one, on one side of the kitchen, the other side with all these black figures on horses mm. wearing the, the, the Islamic mm. slogan, logo, uh, mm. the, 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 the crescent. And the figure on the white horse said, I am Jesus. I am the son of God. I will be coming again in power and I'll destroy all who stand against me and your only hope on the day of judgment is to repent and, and trust yeah. me. And she said she fell to her knees and became a Christian. She was funny. Uh, she, she saw her neighbor later that day, told him he thought she was winding her up. It took six <laughs> weeks for her to him to believe that she's true. But the wow. point is that it was that confrontation. Mm. It was the confrontation. I don't believe it. And then suddenly in that case being supernaturally confronted. Oh, and I think there is something yeah. about when you become a Christian and you truly become a follower of Christ of realizing that actually you have to lay it all down, whether it's your mm. formal worldview and in her case, yeah. or whether it's, you know, someone like, you know, as you say, I'm, it's not that I don't, I'm not, I think it was with Douglas who mentioned and, and other atheists like him. My, my, my worry is in a sense, they, you know, that is this cultural Christianity and this very sort of, yeah. you know, almost Englishness yeah, yeah. to it of going, it's very austere and he loves the hymns and the whatever and going, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, C.S. Lewis, you know, famously talked about, you know, the way that inoculation works is you yeah. expose the patient to a weak, watered-down version of the mm-hmm. disease mm-hmm. and they become immune. Yeah. And he says, you know, have we are we in danger of inoculating our society against Christianity? And you mm-hmm. wonder whether Douglas, even for his positive mm-hmm. stuff, there's a, there's a bit of that yeah. going and similar on. To, actually, similar to yeah. um, Tom Holland as well, we've mentioned, of course, the guy Tom Holland Dominion. and others. Yeah. He's similar. They speak very... They've had Anglican upbringings, not notably. I mentioned Church of England earlier. There's something about that established church thing. Of course, if I had to, you know, my beloved Kierkegaard would have to come in and say many things here about Christendom and the, the effects of social socialized Christianity, which we'd need to critique. But we have to straddle that line, don't we? Because as I said, I don't, I don't want to deny the fact that there's a clear, there's a clear effect. There are net effects of Christianity in a culture which are different to the effects of Islam in a culture or Buddhism or Hinduism or atheism. And so I guess it, as we're talking about what are the fruits of atheism in a, in the culture, what, what has that actually done? What, what has this acceptance of non-religion done, this kind of social acceptance where previously it would have been frowned upon to come out and say you're an atheist, to publicly come and say, I don't care, that, 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 that there's no meaning ultimately, that above us there's only sky, the John Lennon. So... That now that became almost basically is the norm. I think I would still argue is a Western mm. individual secular norm. Um, yeah, the effects of that have not been helpful. And as you say, it points out to some of the purposelessness, the meaninglessness, which people are, are then going to other things. And we mentioned before, I think maybe some of the stuff with the woke generation is precisely because they need something to believe in. They need to be active about something and have some ultimate cause. But they, they actually have a reason if they're not. They don't have like a religious transcendent belief. They don't have a reason for why, you know, the, the earth should survive this long rather than this long, or we should have this level of, um, let's say, equality between one minority group and one majority group. It doesn't matter. None of it really matters. So, you know, there's, there's that big question, which would seem like a distractive philosophical question. It's like pulling the, the rug away from all of the efforts to make the world better or make each other's lives better or their neighbors' lives better. And it seems like a very offensive thing to say, because atheists will say that. So to, I don't know if they said that to you. They must have said it to you. Um, but it's almost like that they can be offended that you're saying their life is meaningless uh, without it, is that, because they're le- living lives that are meaningful and they're ethical, nice people. And I'm saying, yeah, absolutely. You are doing nice and good things in the world. It doesn't mean your life is meaningful because you, st- you don't have a reason for why. You're, you're, you're almost acting mad, more mad than you think I am. 
because you don't have a reason for all the nice, good things you're doing. You might think they're the great purpose. You might enjoy mm. reading this great poetry or, or going to the opera or something and having these wonderful cultural pursuits. But it, there's nothing. There's no real reason for why you're just well, entertaining and again, we're back to nothing. We're back to nothing new under the sun, aren't we? Because of course, yeah. I'm reminded that we mentioned earlier. We mentioned him earlier. I mean, C.S. Lewis. I think is interesting because, of course, this is this was Lewis's conversion, right? Because people forget mm. that Lewis was an, was an angry atheist into his thirties. He was yeah. a new atheist before the thing was invented, and you know what brought him finally to his knees was that was that exactly that realization. And he talked about this in his autobiography, "Surprised by Joy," that all the things that he cared about were utterly meaningless on atheism, especially beauty and art and aesthetics. Mm. And I think one of the opportunities maybe hit well one maybe one of the opportunities definitely here for christians is that we need to have the boldness mm. that when we engage our friends who are not angry atheists but believe you know apparently believe nothing but are banging on about human rights and whatever yeah and to turn around and go look with all due respect that is meaningless mm. without without christianity yeah. or one of the things we're doing you know this year on the on the solas kind of website we're running a series a slightly softer version of that we're running a series of articles every fortnight called have you ever wondered mm. where we take things that people care deeply about justice and meaning and beauty mm. and art and everything and say well have you ever wondered quite frankly where the heck that comes from mm. you know that doesn't make any kind of sense mm. um and i think mm. although that won't get people all the way i think there is an opening right now to be saying to our friends look you know the things mm. that you do care the most deeply about mm. are there because as a christian i believe god has wired them into us mm. And the only way to really have those things is to come home to the, to the Christian faith. Paul does this quite well in Acts 17, um, of course, with the altar to the unknown God. That, you know, he's he starts gently with a kind of, you know, yeah. it's great that you're religious. Isn't this wonderful? But he also brings the challenge in, too. He gets to the point where he goes, yeah. but the stuff that you believe is, quite frankly, badass crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, God, you know, the God of the universe doesn't live in stone of things made by human hands. And you need to believe in 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 you know the incarnation the resurrection of the lord jesus mm. um but you know some scoff some believe and others say okay we want to hear you again on this subject mm. and i think there is interesting you have the responses mapped out right maybe that's what we should be looking for mm. some are going to scoff and laugh at us others are going to bow the knee and others are going to go all right then i'll listen mm. to you again yeah and we see what i like about that again that again we Act 17 is, is such a good example because it does combine what we talked about earlier. It does combine the persuasive, the apologetics task, and the heraldic, the kind of preaching task mm. that we have. Something to proclaim that just is true, whether you care about it or receive it well or are offended by it or not. Like, it just is the case. And I think, again, you, you might have lots of Christians who may have preached arrogantly in ways where they've said things with confidence that they or certainty that they actually ought not have said. Uh, but there's something fundamental about the gospel that you preach it at least as though um, you have absolute certainty in it, because that's the kind of confidence that has carried the gospel. So it's, so it's not to say you lose humility, but Paul is when he speaks to, to the Athenians, it is a wonderful contrast. He's willing to persuade and, and go with them and reason with them, and then he's willing to just call them to repentance to say God is this God. Not I, if from my own personal perspective, I believe God is this. And it might be different to yours, but let's have a nice conversation about it. And then you can say what you think and I'll say what I think. And then at the end, we'll just go our separate ways. He does proclaim to them. He does actually say, this is the God you are worshipping or you think you're worshipping. Or this is the God who's real. He doesn't live in this. So he's speaking um, declaratively, imperatively um, and urgently of these um, yeah, of these truths that these people need to hear. So I think that is important. We see that all the way through scripture again. When, we, when atheism occasionally does kind of come up, almost you think of Romans 1, um, you know, in, in the sense that this is just kind of God has made it plain to you that that kind of wonder and transcendence, his, his eternal power, um, are, are present to the things that he's made. So when you look at the world, though, though you see lots of um, problems and lots of things that new atheists love to sort of look at and go, what, what about this? What about this and this? If God, then what about this? And they're kind of putting God in the dock. That was almost always the way that they would tend to work in those four, well, they're, still, they're still out there, but they're certainly not out there in the same army-like droves that they used to be. Um, and actually Christians should look back and go, well, what about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? You look at the world around you, it does not strike you as something that just came without transcendence attached. Even you as human beings who care about um, mm. human rights and, and, and the, the care of one another as humans, as you said earlier, what are we as human beings? Are we just these these bits of uh, these blobs of matter put together that, that seem to have ideas above our station? Or are we people made fearfully and wonderfully in the 
in the image of of our creator god who also uh, redeemed us so there's so there's there's, there's sort of a, a kind of clarity about that in, in scripture that i think we need to recover and also maybe something in linking to your interesting testimony you said earlier mm. about the lady who had the white horse arrive i'm fascinated by that because you know it's like that's like jesus directly communicating with a, a muslim woman in ways that a christian wouldn't communicate the gospel like we wouldn't go to we wouldn't go to someone and say one day which is just a that, you know, that that vision she had or it's kind of just revelation isn't it it's there's in the yes. book of revelation jesus does come back on a white horse and vanquishes his enemies but we don't talk like that we just try to constantly just say we, we, we give the weak version of god on which we just talk about the things that are kind of more socially acceptable and, and gentle and nice and huggy rather than the sort of sense of god's power as well which is really really important because i think you need to show that what we're who we're trusting in is a god who is so wonderful and loving and humble and gracious and merciful but yet at the same time carries all the kind of power yes um, and indeed wrath that is necessary so you know yeah. you want to be on his side you don't want to be on the side of those who are against him he will oppose well his exactly and i think this is a this is a, a rabbit trail we won't go down but I, I was just one thing i've noticed over the years with muslims i think one of the reasons mm. why christians sometimes struggle with muslims we're so used to and I'm not saying we should be doing it, but we're so used to being very softly, softly, softly with our secular friends. We're so mm. terrified of people not liking us. Then we turn to Muslims and we try softly, softly, softly. And they take that as, well, you guys don't believe this. Yes. Yeah, right. And I remember when I first started engaging with Muslims, you know, at Speaker's Corner in the late 1990s, I mean, Muslims say mm. to me, you know, you're the, you're the first, I've, I've met many Christians, you're the first Christian I meet who really believes this. Yeah. And I would always defend my brothers and sisters in Christ going, no, 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 most of the Christians you've met really believe it. They're just... They're just not used to actually confidently talking mm. about mm. it, and so I, and I had to learn it the first few times. Mm. I had to learn it, and now when I often I meet Muslims, you know, mm. I unapologetically will reach into mm. sort of mm. you know hell and damnation type stuff. Mm. I will say mm. to Muslim friends, "Look, the reason I'm telling you about Jesus is I don't want you to go to hell, yeah. and and I also appreciate the reason you're telling me about Islam. You don't want me to go to hell, so mm. let's talk about the hereafter." Mm. Now, you know, most of us would be terrified of doing that, but then at the same time, I have a you know a friend of mine who does a lot of evangelism in, in, in pubs and particularly very quite working men's pubs in the North of England. And what's interesting watching how he's built a ministry, you know, he's dealing with people who are, if you ask them, they believe in God, like, oh God, that's a load of, you know, um, exert expletive rubbish. And he's rude direct. He will mm. not dump, beat around the bush at all. He will, you know, name mm. things. He will, you know, use quite old fashioned approaches and language mm. and be very direct. And the result is he sees quite a lot of, quite a lot mm. of fruit from his ministry. Mm. I think Carl would say, you know, people often will often see through the dancing around stuff. And yeah. sometimes you just need to, you know, yeah. just come right out with us. He would put the old fashioned gospel. There is a God who loves you, mate, and you are a filthy sinner, but there is, a, there is, mm. there is forgiveness available in Christ. And your life is a total mess. You know it, your family mm. know it, all your friends make it. Stop mm. messing around yeah. and sort it now. Yeah. And again, a lot of us will look at that and go, gosh, I wouldn't do, quite do it like that. Yeah. Well, many people have come to faith through, and and, there's no, and at the end of the day, the, the, every single person you know, you, a Christian encounters in the world, however, there are always many people, non-Christians, that appear very, very, especially atheists, who are willing to own atheism, not just say I'm agnostic, which is probably more common. Uh, but those who are willing to, yeah, I'm just an atheist, which I would say, by the way, can we open this rabbit trail? In fact, let me give you a uh, license to just jump on this rabbit trail after I've said this one, I'm about to say. But I think the new atheists um, tend to be more, far more male than female. Like, like to an overwhelming degree. So those who are willing to come and go, I'm principally an atheist. I do, I do not believe I need to have a transcendent. There's a huge male female difference in that, interestingly. But those who would sort of come out and say that, um, you know, they would, they, they'd want to, to sort of come almost, um, they'd want to come at you as though you were, you, what you believe is just a, a kind of crux, isn't it? That was often the thing. Like they were desperate to be seen as independent. Whereas you're dependent on your crutch God. And so we have to constantly say, no, 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 Christianity is not a crutch. This kind of thing. I'm not just someone who's um, doing this for the sake of it. But at the same time, you, we almost want to preach the gospel as well. So well, we do need a crutch, actually. We do, we do need a savior more than a crutch. We need to, we're completely lost and so are you. And so there's something about, as you say, that um, declarative element that, that really lays down the law as well, lays down the reality. Because those people, when they're on their own, they are going to have these existential doubts about their life. They are going to be uh, overwhelmed at times by the guilt of sin that is there. Whether they kind of brush yeah. it off, whatever they do with it, how they redirect it, 
it's still reality. It's an actual reality. That's why Paul is able to say so confidently to these people who he hasn't had all had personal conversations with. He can declare things like all preachers have throughout history that this is the case. You are in sin. And so whether you decide to assent to that and believe it cognitively or not, it is the case. And it's going to find you out. It's going to have effects in your life. I think people, if they're honest with themselves, that, that is a reality that, that matches up. You know, we've had a yeah, few and, um, all over the world for a reason. And it reminds me, I don't know if I've told this story on on Pot of the Gaps um, before, but I, it's a story I, I use in my uh, my new book, then as another shameless plug. It's out next time. Uh, I was actually going to say earlier that you did well not to do a shameless plug when you were talking about not looking right. like an idiot because it was so No, no, very good, exactly. Well, it's that book comes out next time. Oh, well, I tell the story in there of... Um, so you have uh, one of my favourite kind of comedy double acts are Penn and Teller, who are a pair of American co- uh, comedy magicians, very, very famous. Well, Penn Gillet, who's one of those the pair of them, is very outspoken atheist. But a few years ago, he did this video blog where he told the story of how he finished his gig in the States. And this guy comes up to him at the end and, you know, says a few positive things about the act and then works it round to basically offering Penn a, a, a Bible and gives him the gift of a Bible. And uh, and and now it's interesting. At that point, you think Pendulay is going to go, you know, nuclear on the guy, and then he but he goes on in the video to say, he says, "I was remarkably impressed." He says, "Because everyone knows I'm a loudmouth atheist, and it must take a lot of courage for this guy who's not big to come up to me giving that Bible." And he said, "I have respect for that guy. The people I don't have respect for," he said, "are Christians who believe I'm going to go to hell because I don't believe in Jesus, and they say nothing. They say mm. absolutely nothing." Yeah. He said, "People who claim they believe in this and don't preach about it." who don't proselytize as he puts it quite frankly i don't believe they believe it yeah. he said if i yeah. believe that you were standing in the road and that a truck was rolling down the road and was about yeah. to flatten you i wouldn't sit there and say nothing i would get out there yell at you i would drag you out of the way mm. and he mm. said so christians don't evangelize just he said quite frankly do you even believe it mm. and i remember Absolutely. watching that going wow that from the mouth yeah. of you know quite a foul-mouthed yeah. advice for evangelism he's... from a, from a non-christian exactly yeah. i quit that's from the book of saying he's absolutely right if we genuinely believe the gospel then maybe it's going to be socially embarrassing mm. maybe it's going to be awkward maybe it's going to mm. be downright freaking terrifying mm. but if we stand there and say nothing i mean the prospect of what's the prospect on the day of judgment you know there's the thing that keeps me awake at night sometimes is people are you know friends who i haven't said anything to on the day of judgment looking mm. at me going why did you not tell me i was mm. friends with you for 20 years and you didn't mm. tell me you didn't tell yeah. me that this was yeah um yeah and to go it does worry me slightly mm. particularly I want to say Englishness, but other cultures are fond of it. But the, I, this, the, 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 the sense of being polite and yeah. proper mm. in parts of the church that holds us back mm. from evangelism. And yeah. again, you know, if you had the cure for cancer and your neighbor mm. was dying of cancer, you wouldn't not tell them because you were, you were shy. Yeah. You'd bang on the door going, hey, I know mm. that you've got medical condition. Well, good news. Here's the, Absolutely. Here's the cure. This, this is something that Christopher Hitchens, to go back to another new atheist father figure, as it were, um, um, he was um, constantly annoyed at liberal Christians for that reason, because they didn't, you know, go the full hog with what he thought the Bible actually said. So he wouldn't, at the end, he got sick of doing debates with Christians where he'd be arguing toe-to-toe with them, and then it would all unravel, but in a way like he'd win the argument, but only because they just ended up going, oh, yeah, I don't believe that either. And he'd be like, he'd have his list of things that the Bible says, and go, oh, yeah, we just we just don't interpret it that way, or... You know, actually, we believe all religions are equally valid and, you know, or God will save everyone anyway, universalism or something, so it doesn't really matter. And so he just got fed up with this. He said that's why he agreed. He only agreed to do, I think, debates in the end with kind of conservative evangelicals towards the end because in terms of Christians, because he was just not thinking it was worth the debate otherwise. So someone, he wants someone who really believes. I think he said that about Doug Wilson when he did um, there's that documentary Collision on Hit- Christopher Hitchens' um, debating tour with Doug Wilson. They go around different places in the States. Um, and he says, and then they ask him, why did you do this with Doug Wilson, who's a bit of a controversial Christian pastor himself? So, well, he, he, you know, he's one of the only ones I <laughs> came across who really believes this stuff. And so, like, I want to deal with someone who really believes what Christians have always believed, which I find interesting that so many of us, as you say, um, we like to kind of colour you know, over it or sort of mm. put it in uh, ice, sugarcoat it, I guess in such a way that it doesn't really come across that way, which is why when you see here these examples, like the Muslim woman you mentioned earlier, you think, gosh, it really the, the starkness of it, the starkness of eternal realities, the starkness of how Revelation, Book of Revelation puts stuff, is just so far away from our, our you know, frontline Christian witness. And maybe some of our interactions would be helped. And I'm not saying doing that in a way that's 
uh, mm. reminiscent of the really bad ways that we've heard people do that previously. There will be people even listening who'll be like, ah, oh, I've got all these bad memories coming back from when I've heard people preaching hell in a way that was really unhelpful. You know, people in certain cultures, if I've ever got North, students from Northern Ireland, um, they, they just read things differently. They'll read uh, me talking about preaching being so important uh, differently because they've had preaching preached at them, as it were, their whole life yeah. in such a way that was very sectarian. They're not, not, not all that helpful and a little bit narrow. But so it means that sometimes they're, they've got blind spots because they can't ever see that positively because they've only seen it negatively. So I think we do need to recover something of that, the clarity and, and the front-footedness, don't we, of um, speaking the truth out. So we're not just kind of arguing in a very nice way we're actually saying no this is serious stuff you really need to get on that. almost be on the offensive whereas mm. christians too often have been on the defensive because new atheism is throwing all of the bombs and we've got plenty of our own bombs that we mm. can be throwing which are actually for their good by the way because it demolishes mm. you mentioned earlier we don't want to demolish um people we're going to win people but we pull this as we demolish our strongholds yeah <laughs> yeah the strongholds exactly. that are there that are literally keeping people there's this spiritual realities going on here which we need to engage mm. in and there's that kind of warfare that that preaching is necessary for alongside persuasion yeah. and on that bombshell we hit about the hour <laughs> are you waiting for that i just thought that's such a natural place to, oh, to, to, beautiful to, to to tie it together and um but it's a good place to end i think on on on, on confidence you know, we've done episodes in recent weeks on you know how the church has the church lost its edge and, and other mm. stuff and i, I thought like that's a great place to end on mm. on that great exhortation you offered there and to just go for it and to go yeah mm. we don't be useless preachers and bad preachers and we don't be you know needlessly offending people mm. but equally you know, as you say, if we lost that confidence to even say what we believe mm. and we're afraid of even the slightest bit of conflict, we're missing mm. something because we are a spiritual battle, as Paul mm. regularly Absolutely. reminds us. And as Jesus, you know, Jesus, we also forget, of course, as well, Jesus said stuff that was pretty extreme. It was Jesus who said, you know, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Mm. It's that, it'll go to hell. It's that, it's that serious. Mm. Uh, and sometimes I think we've, we've sort of domesticated um the gospel so let's let's undomesticate let's undomesticate the gospel mm. let's be confident and bold and honest in what we believe and and trust that through that the lord will will draw those that he's called to, to him but mm. on that note that's a good place to end so um this has been uh i'll say bomb of the gaps <laughs> that's part of the gaps <laughs> and uh, i've been andy bannister i think he's been I've been out and you've and you've listeners have been all around the world apparently. Little did you have know. absolutely. So to our to our listeners in every country uh, in in the world. Well, and I think UAE on that list, and and, I need yeah. to I need to top the numbers up because on that list I read earlier, I think we've got about 120 different countries, which means about 100 countries that haven't listened. Yeah, that's outrageous. Come on, guys. Oh, okay. So we need program. to get those. We need to get those numbers up because otherwise our caps. egos will be really badly damaged. And no one <laughs> listening in the Faroe Islands, which is the most one of the most Christian countries in the in the northern hemisphere so what's going on there anyway <laughs> we'll be back in a, a couple of weeks time with another episode and another topic but meanwhile goodbye farewell